King Saul offered the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel, Samuel said, God's going to go looking for king number two, a man after his own heart. Then when Saul disobeyed God with the Amalekites, sparing Agag and the best of the livestock, Samuel said, God has ripped the kingdom from you. God promptly sent Samuel to Judah, specifically to Bethlehem, to anoint a new king. That's where we pick up our story. Clearly, that new king had to have two characteristics. He had to have a heart God would love and a heart to obey God. Samuel is sent to Bethlehem, specifically to the house of Jesse. Jesse is Ruth and Boaz's grandson. This is a pretty big deal when the prophet of Israel visits your home. He asks Jesse to line his sons up in front of him. Samuel looks at the firstborn. He's pretty sharp. Surely he's the one. But God speaks to Samuel. Nope, you're looking at the outside. I need a heart this time. I see the heart. None of these boys are the ones. You got any more boys, Jesse? Jesse probably snickers. Yeah, just the runt out watching the sheep. Go get him. That runt is paraded in in front of Samuel. His name, as you maybe already know, is David. Samuel looks on him. He's a good-looking kid. His eyes are striking. And he has a ruddy appearance. In Hebrew, that means reddish. That could refer to his sun-kissed skin. But it also could refer to his hair. He might have been a redhead, a ginger. Samuel anoints young David, the shepherd, as the new king of Israel. I'm sure he instructed him to keep it quiet. The former king Saul is in kind of a foul mood right now. It also states, the spirit came on young David. David went back to tending sheep until he was summoned to Saul's camp. What was up? Had Saul found out he'd been anointed second king? Not really. He was told to bring his guitar. Well, it was a liar back then, but today we call it a guitar. Apparently, out there in the wilderness watching sheep with nothing to do, this young artist picked up the guitar, and man, could he play. He was renowned throughout the country as that young shepherd guitarist of Judah. King Saul had fallen into one of his sullen moods. In fact, it was so dark, it's said of him that an evil spirit had descended on him. The young, ruddy, shepherd artist was brought in front of him with his lyre, with his guitar. He began to play and sing songs he'd written in the wilderness. We're going to look at some of David's songs in a few episodes. Music calmed the savage beast Saul. Saul told him, don't wander too far. I'll be calling for you when I need you. Apparently, David popped back and forth between Saul's camp and shepherding his sheep near Bethlehem. The Philistines flared up and Saul drafted three of his older brothers into the army. One day, Jesse told David, get somebody else to watch the sheep and go check on your brothers at the front line. When David arrived, Goliath, the Philistine giant, had just come out for his morning taunt of Israel and their God. David watched, aghast that this uncircumcised thug could taunt the God of Israel and his army. He asked his brothers, what's up with this? His brothers didn't take too kindly to his question. Easy for you to say, shepherd boy. You're not putting your life on the line. Saul hears he's in the camp and summons his shepherd musician. It's here David gives Saul a little more information. He's not only good with the guitar, he's really handy with a slingshot. Apparently in the wilderness with his sheep, he didn't just write songs and practice his chords. He became a marksman. 
and apparently quite a little warrior. He tells Saul he's taken out predators on his sheep with his bare hands. He offers to go out and fight the Philistine Goliath. Some people roll their eyes when they read the description of Goliath, over nine feet tall. I don't have any problem with that. If you Google Igor and tallest man, his growth was stopped just under eight feet by the Mayo Clinic. I've seen Igor at the athletic club, and he actually attended the school I teach at when he was being treated here at the clinic. He has gigantism, a tumor on his pituitary gland. He would have kept growing if they hadn't stopped it. David, dropping this giant with one stone from his slingshot in the name of the God of Israel, clearly is a top 10 story of the Old Testament. And yes, I am counting. I know I've used up at least four or five already. Now the barely known shepherd musician of Judah becomes vastly popular. A rock star. He's the one the ladies sing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Already Saul's musician, and now his military hero, Saul has no choice but to keep him in his court. It's here he bonds with the heir apparent, Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul starts thinking of ways to get rid of David by sending him into especially precarious situations, or even by trying to trap him through romance with one of his daughters. Each time it backfires. He's victorious in those situations, and his daughters think he's amazing. One day in especially foul mood, Saul summons David to play for him in the court. Somewhere in the middle of the song, Saul grabs his spear and tries to kill David across the room. David ducks and ducks out. Believe it or not, this happens a second time. David realizes his concert series in front of Saul is over. Saul's son Jonathan, David's friend, steps in to try and argue his case. Saul tries to kill Jonathan with a spear. It's here we find Jonathan and David out in the field saying goodbye to each other. It's clear these two men are deeply bonded. When we fast forward to 2 Samuel and David is lamenting the death of Jonathan, he says this, your love to me, Jonathan, was more precious than the love of women. It shouldn't surprise us. Some people have concluded this was a romantic love between these two men. Personally, I think that's off base. Both these men were married and had kids. David is clearly drawn to the ladies, as we'll see shortly. But third, do you have a best same-sex friend? A soulmate? A buddy? I sure hope so. If you hadn't noticed, men and women are extremely different. I urge my students to find a best friend and protect that friendship at all costs. May I put it this way, Adam didn't just need Eve, he needed a Steve, a soulmate buddy. Naomi needed her Ruth, and we'll see others going forward in scripture who needed the same. After parting from Jonathan, David becomes the fugitive. He'll spend the next decade anointed as king, but running from the murderous King Saul. He escapes to the village of Nob. There he asks the priest for food and a weapon. Ahimelech, the priest, provides David and the few men with him food. Ahimelech said, right there, wrapped up in a blanket. It's a sword, and it's a dandy. It's the one you took off Goliath when you cut off his head. David leaves, but one of the men at the village at the time goes back to Saul and reports it. Saul summons Ahimelech and accuses him of aiding and abetting a traitor, a fugitive. Saul then dispatches men to send a message to Israel. This is what happens when you aid and abed the fugitive David. He murders everyone, men, women, and children in the village. 
David hears the news. He's deeply sorry that he caused the death of these priests. He owns it. Then he flees to the only place Saul doesn't dare come, Philistine territory. They say, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that cut down Goliath and that the ladies of Israel say he's slain his ten thousands? That would be ten thousands of us, Philistines, so they descend on David. Here David, the shepherd artist, shows another side of his talents, acting. When they arrive, he acts completely berserk, drooling down his beard and banging his head against the wall. During an intermission of his berserk act, David slips away and escapes to the wilderness. It's here David started collecting men for his ragtag army. What a bunch of scallywags. We're told they were people in debt, no goods, rejects, and throwaways. At the end of David's life, he'll recount some of his men, who became mighty men. Under David, these rejects became a fighting machine. While Saul's chasing David, David and his new men begin a guerrilla war on the Philistines. It's David and his men who are protecting the nation. Occasionally, David and his men encounter Saul and his men out looking for him. In one incident, David and his men hide at the back of a deep cave when Saul's men are approaching. Saul goes into this same cave to go to the bathroom deep in the back of the cave. One of David's men remind him he's actually the anointed king. He maybe reminds him how this murderous man has, has just wiped out a village of priests. He may have reminded David how Saul, instead of fighting the Philistines, was chasing him like a dog. He says to David, God has delivered him to you to take him out. David, the warrior, crawls through the cave in total silence. Having dropped his robe or hung it up to go to the bathroom, David cuts a small piece out of it with his knife. Then he elbows his way back to the back of the cave. When Saul is finished, has left the cave and is a half a mile down the road with his men, David pops out of the opening and yells to him, King Saul, check your robe. Here's the other piece. I could have killed you in there, but I'm loyal to you. Your God's anointed. Saul's tormented heart softens. The men around him have witnessed David's kindness and loyalty, so Saul goes home. The text then tells us David's tender heart was troubled that he would even defile a piece of the king's robe. Believing Saul's softened heart wouldn't last long, David and his men go deeper into the wilderness to hide. It's there that a man is introduced into our story, Nabal. He's a local landowner. His livestock is grazing all around where David and his men are camped out. David the shepherd tells his men, keep your hands off his livestock. We're told a day of a festival arrived and David couldn't provide for his 400 men. That's pretty embarrassing. So David does what many men have trouble doing. He asks for help. He sent men down to Nabal to ask if he would show a little kindness if he'd share some of his excess. Nabal insults them and calls them deadbeats. When the men arrive back at David, he's humiliated and angry. He makes a vow in front of his men. I promise you, before nightfall, not one male will be left in that man's household. On this feast day, David was now hungry for revenge. On his way down toward Nabal's, David is met by a young woman. She's on her way up with donkeys loaded with food for David and his men. She falls before David and begs him to reconsider. She apologizes for her husband Nabal. This woman before him 
Abigail, stops David in his tracks. She says to David, Someday you'll be king. You don't want this on your conscience or your record. He blesses her, and he cancels the mission. We're told Saul's scouts located where David and his men were buried deeper in the wilderness. Saul comes again with a large army, and David does the cave thing to Saul a second time. This time, Saul is sleeping outside. His soldiers surround him in concentric rings, with him on the bullseye. David and one of his men tiptoe through all the sleeping soldiers to the bullseye. This time he takes Saul's spear and canteen. Again, from a hill at a safe distance, he calls down to Saul and reminds Saul he could have killed him, but he's fiercely loyal to God's anointed, the king. Again, Saul softens, but David is skeptical. So he flees once again to Philistine territory. This time he's wiser. He wants to show the Philistines he's tired of Saul and Israel and he's become a traitor. So he makes raids on eight villages outside the Philistine territory. He leaves no witnesses. When he comes back to the Philistines with the plunder, he lies that he's been in Israel territory fighting battles for the Philistines. David is so convincing, a Philistine mayor makes him his personal bodyguard. It's here that David gets stuck between a rock and a hard place. The rock is this convinced Philistine leader who believes David is fiercely loyal. The hard place is Saul and Jonathan and Israel who are farming for battle against the Philistines. This will be the battle where Saul and his sons are killed on Mount Gilboa. The Philistine leader said, Come, David, go with me into battle against the Israelites. David says, Man, let's go. How's he going to get out of this one? But God steps in. As they're farming for battle, other Philistine leaders see David. They think this is a ruse. David's been pretending to be on their side so he can turn on the Philistines when the battle gets fierce. They tell David's Philistine boss, send him and his men home. We don't trust him. Instead of breathing a sigh of relief, David, the actor, takes this very personally. When you read it, he's scary devious. But he's sent back home to his town Ziklag. When he gets to Ziklag, the Amalekites have come and destroyed it and taken all the people, David's wives and the wives and children of all his men. The men are devastated. They blame it on their leader, David, and there's talk of stoning him. The text tells us, but David found strength in the Lord his God. They raid and defeat them and get back everything. Back in Ziklag, a messenger comes to David. He thinks he's got good news for David. But that's not the way David takes it. We'll hear what that news is and how David, the anointed shepherd, musician, warrior, responds in our next episode.